Hi, friends. Welcome to Encouraged and Equipped. On this podcast, we introduce you to the women of Christ Chapel Bible Church. We love being encouraged to live out our faith in Jesus by hearing the stories of women in our church community. We are so glad that you're here. Sarah Reed is the first to tell you that God chased her for years, and she stiff-armed him and ran the other direction, but no one knew. She assimilated into the church culture, but hid her true emotions and pain. Though she gave God the silent treatment, she looks back in awe at his pursuit, kindness, and beauty. I hope you are as encouraged by her story as I am. Welcome! My name is Kathy and I'm here with Sarah Reed and we, Sarah, are so excited that you would join us for Encouraged and Equipped today. Thanks for having me. Well, we are so excited to get to know you more and hear your story and learn how God has been at work in your life. But before we jump into that, we love to ask all of our guests, what is a little something that has brought you joy lately? Uh, Yeah. So I just got back from the beach with my family for seven days. So the beach is one of my favorite places. Um, And usually all my siblings can't make it, but two of them could with seven kids. Um, That is so fun. My nieces and nephews. Yeah. So it was really sweet. I got to work out carrying those kids to the ocean. (laughs) 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 But yeah, it was fun. I love that. I love that you got to be with your family and with your nieces and nephews. That's really awesome. Yeah. That's (laughs) awesome. Well, I know that you have a wonderful um, walk with the Lord and he has done a lot in your life to bring you to this point. And so you have been kind enough to say that you would share some of that with us. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about how it started. Tell me about you growing up. Yeah. Um, So I grew up in Granbury, which isn't too far from here, about 40 minutes away. And um, when I was, my parents are believers and they were really faithful to bring me to church my whole life. Um, so I grew up in Sunday school and Awana programs, heard the gospel the majority of my life. Um, but when I was about seven, my dad had to relocate us to mm-hmm. Louisiana for his job. And at that time, my mom was diagnosed with spasmodic dysphonia. Which I've never heard of. Yeah. No, most people hadn't. We hadn't either. <laughs> um, it's really rare. And the way they describe it is Parkinson's for your vocal cords, essentially. So she lost her voice. Um and the best way, she could talk a little bit, but it wasn't a normal voice tone. Mm-hmm. It was below. It was raspy. It would take minutes to get a sentence out. Really, only her family could understand her. Wow. Um, so I didn't remember my mom's voice. That was the only voice I knew she had. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, that caused a lot of other health problems to kind of a ripple effect. And it really redefined a bit of how my family life worked. That would definitely impact mm-hmm. yeah. your family life. Yeah. And um, so we were still faithful to the church, but that just living in more of a harder environment. And I think it was a bit more turbulent to grow up in, you know, Absolutely. when your mom's going to the hospital or I'd come out of my neighbors and there'd be an ambulance outside, you know, picking my mom up. And so it kind of the catalyst effect on me was having panic attacks Mm. and I'm a pretty uh, shy person I'm very internal and so I didn't tell anybody I was having panic attacks really yeah and I at sometimes I would kind of start crying or get panicky and I think my parents were like oh it's okay like it's not a big deal um but the real issue I would just deal with on my own um and my heart was always racing I felt like I was um that's so hard for anyone but a young child that's really yeah, hard yeah really scary. hard by 9 um and nothing had ever happened to me just that environment of watching my mom be sick by 9 um my parents took me to a doctor and they said you know you're kind of showing symptoms of just someone who has a lot of like severe anxiety the doctor said you know she's showing symptoms of someone who has PTSD uh, just and again, nothing had happened. It was just a hard environment to be in because she was sick. So, um, around that time, my mom got more sick, mm. and my dad decided. I don't. I, I actually was thinking about this the other day. I don't remember if we went back to Grand Bay just to visit some doctors, and then my dad decided we're not going back to Louisiana, and he moved us back so she could see some specialized doctors. And at that point, things kind of leveled out. Um, I was around my grandparents more and my church family growing up, and that was sweet. But I think some of the damage had been done at that point, just in the anxiety that I was experiencing. And I didn't connect it to anything with faith because I was a child. 
Yeah, and you no one helped to do me. That. Yeah, no. So they were very separate. Like my home life and my church life and who I was, those were all separate. And I just stuffed it the best way. It's like a balloon. You just keep stuffing underwater is how I felt most of the time. And so I think the way I coped with that was just trying to be a happy child and a happy girl and a good church girl. And as I grew up, I remember people would ask my parents, does she ever stop smiling? And internally, I was like, I am falling apart. And no one would have known that. But it just kind of was more like salt on the, a wound, essentially. Because you were really hurting and yeah. no one could see it. No. And I, and of course, some of that's me. But if I were to tell you the main emotion I felt, it was numb or anxiety. Uh, and I just thought that was normal to exist in. So I was 16 when my mom picked me up from choir practice. Again, I never heard her voice. My mom's from New York. She has a very thick Queens accent. She's a Queens girl. I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, it's so fun. Um, <laughs> but she picked me up from, and I never heard it. And she picked me up from choir practice, and she could talk. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah, she could talk. And of course, I'm excited that she can talk. So there's there's definitely that. But it shocked me because I never Absolutely even heard her. Absolutely, it's shocking. And uh, even atheistic doctors were telling her it's a miracle. There's no way that you should be able to talk. No one has ever started to talk again. And that had been many years. That had been nine years. She had gone to many doctors, many different speech therapists. She had done everything she could have to be able to talk again, and it didn't work. And my mom would tell you the story that she just kind of gave up to the Lord one day and said, you know what? If you want me to speak again, you will. And you'll do that. Um, and so when she picked me up, I it was almost like a train wreck moment for me where it was so clear that it was God. There was no denying that it was God. Because there was no other explanation. There was no explanation. People who didn't believe in God were saying it's God, right? So you can't really do anything about that. Yeah. But I had never comprehended how powerful he was or that he could give her her voice back. Wow. And I attributed a lot of my anxiety and some other of the problems just going on with my siblings to my mom not having a voice. And I was livid. That's the best way to describe it. It was just Why? this moment. Tell me about that. <laughs> I remember just thinking, you, I went to my room. I don't know if it was that night or a couple nights later, but I remember sitting on the floor and looking at the ceiling and saying, you know, you could have given her her voice back at any point. And wow. because of you, I'm a wreck. I'm not okay. No one's okay in this family. And you just withheld. And so in my head, he was a narcissist. He was cruel. And I say that because in my head, I understood enough of the gospel and sovereignty to know that when we suffer— it's also for his glory, but I didn't have an understanding of his goodness or his beauty or his love for us in that. So I just saw suffering and I'm not, I wasn't a believer. I never confessed him as Lord or savior. I just was existing in the church world. So I sat there and I said, you know what? And this is how hardened my heart was that I said, I will never live for you. For all I care, you could strike me dead this moment. I'm not going to change my mind. And just the amount of audacity for a 16 year old girl to do, to say that. Um, but I also it is it is audacious. It but is it's yeah. also representative of a lot of pain. It is. It is. And yeah. so I feel yes, it is offensive to the Lord, and yeah. yes, I'm also grieved that mm -hmm. you had been through that much, that mm -hmm. you had hurt that much. Yeah, I think often back to that moment of just how much grace God met me with, mm -hmm. because the reality is God was with me all that time. I think it's um, Hagar who calls him Elroy, which is the God who sees, and as audacious and prideful as that moment was, he already knew why I was at that moment. And so it wasn't, it was just met with mercy. And I don't think I actually prayed again until I was 19. And of course, like at youth group, if they asked me to pray, I was going to pray. But there's a difference between speaking words and actually talking to God. There is a difference. And as far as I was concerned, I wanted nothing to do with him. Now, I know that you're a writer, and uh -huh. I know that even during that season, my guess is writing and poetry yeah. was impactful for yeah. you. So talk a little bit about what that yeah. writing and communicating, maybe not to the Lord, but mm -hmm. what did that look and feel like mm -hmm. to you? I, at that time, didn't want to think about anything. Mm -hmm. That's the reality. I didn't want to think. I didn't want to feel. I wanted to keep going, um, just having highs in life and... It's interesting because I wouldn't think before I wrote. I just kind of would free write a lot as a writer. And a lot of my poetry would result in it being about Jesus chasing me and me wanting to just reject him. 
And I remember at one point thinking, I don't, I don't get why I keep writing this. Because it was just a continuation of me feeling like I couldn't escape him, which is actually a very beautiful thing. At the time, I was like, It was frustrating at the time, but now it's beautiful. Yeah, now it's beautiful. I think C.S. Lewis calls him the um, hound dog of heaven because he doesn't give up. And so Hmm. I, that's what I would write about. Um, I love, again, I know that that was such a painful moment for you and such a hard season, Mm -hmm. but it's so beautiful. Just that picture of Jesus chasing you and you don't want him to be chasing you, but he (laughs) loves you and is going to continue to do that. Yeah, exactly. I think that's all through Genesis to the story of God and his people is that he doesn't give up and we're inclined to run. It's kind of a fount, I think, that's by my wandering heart to thee Mm because we're just bound to run away. And so if you don't have a reason to stay and you don't have an understanding of who God is and his beauty and his goodness, you're not going to want to stick around, you know? So in my head, it was a very trapped world. There's a God. He's going to do what he wants to do. And I don't get a way out of that. So I'm just going to take what I can get as I go through my life. Um. And that makes, I mean, it's painful and it makes sense. And so you're living in this church world. You're around Mm -hmm. believers. You go to church and will I was even baptized. And I think in some capacity, I was like, well, I know there's a God, so that must count. But yeah, I wrote some testimony up and I got baptized at 14 because I was supposed to. You know, that's That's just what you did. did. Yeah, my friends were doing it. I didn't want to be left out. Um, Yeah. So then it. You would graduate yes. from high school, yes, and I assume there's now some choices that you have mm-hmm. or some opportunities, yeah. and you can begin to put yourself in whatever environment you want mm-hmm. to. So mm-hmm. talk a little bit about what that transition from mm-hmm. high school to college looked yeah. like for you. Since I was a little girl, I wanted to go to a school in California called Masters. It's a, for those who don't know, uh, it's a small Christian school. And it wasn't because it was a Christian school I wanted to go. I couldn't have told you why I wanted to go. I think I just wanted to get as far away from anything I knew. And I knew that was a doorway out. My dad was not about to let me go to some like state school in California of all places. And I knew that. And so I couldn't go because I was a nursing major. And that just about crushed me. And they don't, they said they don't have a nursing they didn't, school. At the time, they didn't have a nursing okay. school, but okay. I was like, I'm going to be a nurse. And I applied to Mary Hart and Baylor. It's in Belton, Texas. You uh-huh. can drive around that town in five minutes. I tried it. And, <laughs> and uh, I do not like being in a small town. <laughs> um, I said, this may not go well. It wasn't, yeah, I was bad. <laughs> the story may not end well, but go ahead. <laughs> um, and they had the top nursing program at the time. And so I wanted to go, so I chose to go there. First day I get there. And in my head, I think that I just knew that once I got to college, I could do whatever I wanted. My parents were really good about the consequences having an effect on me. So if I were to be rebellious at all in high school, they were going to take away cars. I wasn't going to go on dates. I didn't have a phone. They were just, your freedom comes with your you being responsible. Yeah. But I knew by college, I could do whatever I wanted. They They're not know. taking away a car. Yeah, yeah. And so I got to college, and within the first day, I remember just feeling utterly depressed, Mm. and it just hitting me like a train. I called some people, and I kept saying, I don't like it here. I have to transfer. And those people were like, it's the first day. day. You haven't made it a day. You've made it an afternoon. And I just knew. I just knew this is not the place I need to be. And I don't know if I could. I don't know if that's just the Lord's hand on me to keep me moving towards a place or I've been around believers my whole life, and now I'm in an environment I'm not. So there's no light. I have no, I don't have the Holy Spirit in me, and there's no Holy Spirit around me for the most part. So I started doing school. I got nervous. I didn't really like get involved with anything. Every time I would try to go drink or party, I just, something in me would make me stop. Mm -hmm. And I really just think it's God, and I'm not His yet. And so that's just so gracious of Him to be like, this is just common grace to you. I'm going to turn you around. I would drive and turn around. And I could not for the life of me study because I was that depressed, which is mm. a little hard to do as a nursing major. Like you're, <laughs> uh, you, you, you better rally. <laughs> you better get ready. And I couldn't do it. And so I came home one day and I made a whole speech to my dad. A lie. The whole presentation. I think I used Moses in the burning bush, which has no, like, it does not apply to me as a 19 year old girl, but sure. And about how I was called to be a biblical counselor. And 
the master's has a biblical counseling program. And I just knew that's where God was calling me. And you were doing this just to get to just master's to get to in masters. California. Just yeah, to get I didn't away. think that. I just wanted to get out of here. You wrote a narrative? Yeah. And shared it? Yes. And he just looked at me and goes, okay. And that's since that, if you knew my father, the fact that he even took, I don't even know if he believed me. I just think he thought, you know what? Maybe she needs to go. Maybe God told, I don't know. I should ask him. Got it work. Got it work. I was so shocked. I remember my mouth dropping, thinking this you was didn't not going to work. work. No. And so I was so thrilled. And um, I go back to school and I just think it's going to be fine. And so you go back to Mary Harden Baylor. I do. Yeah, until the end of the Harden. semester. Yes. And then you want to go to master's. Yes, okay. I do. And some other things happened at that point in my life that just kind of crashed into me. Mm. And I knew that the only person who could carry me through it or who could make sense of it for me was God. And I didn't want to be God. I didn't want to deal with God. And so I couldn't have explained to you why I was that depressed. I couldn't I knew there were certain things that were bothering me and hurting. But I also knew that it was almost like a current underneath, like mm-hmm. the final drop in the river and it was going to break the dam. I was just done being pretending to be a Christian and pretending to be some happy girl. And so I just kind of became really angry. And I told everyone, I'm angry. And I told my parents, I'm angry at what happened growing up. I'm, I know you can have mm-hmm. affected it. You can have changed it. And the older you get, the more you realize your parents can't. They could have controlled of, that. It was never, yeah, it was God. And I knew that too. And so it just made me more mad. And I woke up one day crying. It was almost finals and I was crying. And I just told God, you know what? I don't even want to talk to you. So this is the first time I'm really praying since I was 16, since I said, I don't want to have anything to do with you. And I said, you know what? I don't want to talk to you, but you're the only one who can carry me. Mm-hmm. You're the only one powerful enough. And I don't want to, I don't want to deal with anyone else. So will you just be with me? And this might sound weird, but for lack of a better word, those following days, I didn't necessarily pray. But there would be times I'm like, is it still okay that I don't want to talk to you? Mm. And I would just feel his presence a lot, and probably for the first time in my life. And I started going to church, and it was the only place I felt safe and calm. Um, For a lack of a—truthfully, it wasn't a very theologically sound church either. I think I just was like, it's a church. I so showed up. I showed up and saying, yeah— and uh, a week before, some things happened just financially, but a week before master's began their spring semester, I found out I could go. So three days before classes started, my parents couldn't even take me. I packed two bags. I got on a plane. I told them, I'm so mad. Don't call me, which is very great. Again, a lot of audacity. My parents are were paying for college. Like, they're supporting me. And I'm like, don't talk to me. Like, the, the, just the pride. And they didn't. I look back, I'm like, why did you let me do this stupid thing? <laughs> and they just tell me, we looked at you and we were like, okay, she she has to do this. Um, so we'll leave her to it. We'll leave her in God's hands. So I fly to California and I get to master's. And I remember the guy picked me up. He was a student. He had a sports car. And I have like, I have moved my life. And I was like, that's a great car, but can I even fit this in? Yeah. Like, and also it had busted on the conveyor belt. So my clothes are everywhere. I didn't even clean them because I was so embarrassed. <laughs> Never been to California. So this small town girl, me, is like, can you see mountains everywhere you go here? And they're like, oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> um, So I drove onto campus. Thought I went the back way. Masters is very small. I was like, this is the front entrance. <laughs> like, there's not even a sign. Um, yeah. So that's how I got there. <laughs> I'm just loving God's kindness and sovereignty yeah. to you that mm-hmm. he's orchestrating all of mm-hmm. these things. And mm-hmm. here you are. Yeah. And what happens yeah. once you're there? You know, what's really interesting about going to the West Coast is that the South is the Bible Belt. Mm-hmm. So everyone has gone to church at some point. And the West Coast is different because, well, again, it's not the Bible Belt. But if you're a believer, you're a believer. You're not going to fake it. And no one has a problem saying what they are. And so I'm sitting on a campus full of people who have chosen to go to a Christian school that's not like a Christian school in the South. It is very um, academic. And it was the first time I met a lot of believers who were able to have a lot of fun. Hmm. And it had nothing to do with sinning or breaking the rules. And I was kind of like, oh, can I have fun as a Christian? Can I be free and relaxed? And so I get there and every person got put in my life was so ready to just, and I'm evidently unwell. Like I was 
angry and um, sad, depressed, and having panic attacks still. And everyone was just like, okay, that's where you're at. God meets you there, so will we. And my friends made sure I went to church. These, these were really the first. And I had incredible friends growing up, but I was never real with them. And so these were really the first Christian friendships that I let in. And They saw how broken you were, were and, and stepped towards you. Yeah, and they were like, that's cool. We've been broken. Like, we have stories. And I was sitting, and in my head, God is a narcissist still. God is far away. How I feel does not matter. And in, in some ways, I just thought all feelings were sinful. No one told me that. I just yeah. somewhere decided. Yeah, somewhere that. decided that was the way it was. And I was sitting in chapel. We had to go three days a week. I came from a school that there were riots in the classroom. And then I'm at this campus and everyone's just happy, be bopping around. Going to chapel. Yeah. Uh, and a part of it annoyed me. I was like, y'all are kind of too happy and it's annoying. And I'm stuck here now because <laughs> I chose to come here. And I was sitting in chapel and he was preaching on when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And Jesus weeps. And obviously Jesus is weeping because the people are missing the point that mm -hmm. a, a, something better was coming. But as the pastor is talking, he also talks about how Jesus wept as they were weeping. Like there are emotions He's in sad. that. He's sad. It hit me. I'm sure I had heard that story somewhere along the way, but I don't think it had ever really sunk in. And I just start sobbing in chapel because for the first time I thought maybe, maybe. He is a narcissistic, and maybe he cares about me. And so in my head, I'm a pretty stubborn person. But again, a lot of audacity. I was like, well, let's try this out. Like if I start reading my Bible and if I start trying to kind of live for you, what will you do about it? Like like I'm challenging God. <laughs> so again, once again, he's probably like this girl. Um, but met me with mercy. And so I spent a semester kind of doing that um and it's just incredible to me because i probably would never have I'm, i have to know why i believe something i'm not going to believe something because you told me to and so there's a lot of god's grace and sovereign hand in my life to mm -hmm. let me go to a school that academically i had to have a minor in biblical studies we all leave biblical studies minors and the professors were not really indoctrinating they were like these are the different views of this theology pray pray with the lord but this is what I think. And it helped me wrap my head around it because I had to intellectually understand it. So it removed this law behind, like this is what you have to do and this is how you be obedient. And this is just what it is for what it is. It, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Like they presented the truth and yeah. here's a variety of views. Go think about it. Yeah. And you can take it or leave it, but it's true. That was kind of their attitude, which was very good for someone like me. So, um, so I left... I left semester, that semester going home and changed in a lot of ways, but still pretty hardened towards my family, towards the life I had had. And I started having panic attacks that last all night. Mm, that's so hard. It, yeah. It's, it was really, um, it's really grueling on your body. It's just like this continue up and down of adrenaline. And I couldn't have told you why. I just was so not okay and one day as it dawns on me that it's been all night i'm having a panic attack as the sun's rising in my room i told god you know what there's something wrong with me and you have to do something i'll do anything if you just help me out of this pit mm. and that day masters called me and they're like hey you actually have more credits then we were realized so one of your scholarships doesn't apply because you're ahead it's like okay and then my dad was like it's cool like we kind of worked everything out we did this three times something kept happening on one of our ends financially and finally masters even called and gave me money they're like here's a grant because we just want you to come back and then something happened to one of my mom's jobs and i just i couldn't go there was no way it just wasn't going to work. God was, and I remember sitting on that phone thinking, I, I prayed this morning. This isn't what I meant. I didn't mean not to take to take me away from the one place I felt at home and safe. But I knew enough that at that point that if I surrendered in some way, there was probably going to be some freedom in that. Mm. And a lot of it was just God breaking down my will. I think often it's hard to see God be good when he's doing something hard in your life. But the reality is we are the hard ones. 
were the ones. They're somewhere in Old Testament. I wish I knew where. But he's talking to his people, and I'm totally paraphrasing this. But And someone, like, Babylon's coming for Israel or something, and he says that it's better for me to let this happen than for you to continue in your sin. To be in suffering or persecuted in some way is better for us than to sit in something he died for. And so I'm not regenerated at that moment. And so there's nothing better for me than for God to continue to pursue me and push down my pride and my will until I want to surrender to him. And I don't know why I knew to do this, probably the Holy Spirit, but I went to my parents and I never really respected them. I never really had been obedient. I, I definitely back talked a lot. And um, again, I was obedient. So I had a car and I could have a phone and go on dates. You were you good know? enough. Yeah, I was good enough. And I go and I told them, I asked them to forgive me. Um, and I asked that I told them, I'll just submit to you this semester, whatever you think is best. And my dad, we had a really good healing conversation that night. And then I told them, I'm willing to go to biblical, biblical counseling. My church has a really good biblical counseling program. And I said, but only one person can counsel me. And it was my childhood best friend's mom, Brenda, Brenda Warren. And I, I had grown up in the church. I would have done anything she had asked me. I could have read anything. I would have written anything. And she called me one day. She actually wasn't even counseling at that point. So she came out of retirement situation to counsel me. And she said, I want you to come over every Saturday. I'll make you brunch. Which threw me off. I was like, okay. And so I go. And she said, I've prayed a lot about it. And I all God wants me to do is teach you how to read the Bible. Which then annoyed me further. I was like, you know what? I know how to read the Bible. I, I could I've church. been at a Christian I could church. College. Yeah, yes. it's fine. And she goes, I don't think you do. And so I said, okay, okay. And what she would do is she would give me a couple of verses, very few, and tell me I had to, from that extract, what that verse meant for me, what it said about me, what it said about God, and what it says about life. And I worked that semester. I took two classes online and that's all I did and that homework. And as I did that, she was trying to teach me how to put on and put off, put off and put on, which is essentially, you know, writing out a lie, writing out a verse that applies to it and then telling yourself the truth and just re-circulating. Yeah, what do I need yeah. to put off, which is the lie or the sin? Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. what is the truth? Yeah. And then what do I need to put on that is true yes. and godly? Yeah. And that was your yeah, pattern or exactly. what she was trying to teach yeah. you. Yeah. And so as I did the thing about learning how to read the Bible, it kind of started to restructure how I saw God. I didn't think about God affecting who God was in my head did not affect my life or me. So as I saw his character and how it defines who I am because he's created me. And what does that mean for my life? Because if he is good, what does that mean for my life? And right. if he is the essence of everything beautiful and holy, what does that say about me mm -hmm. and life? And but I called my pastor and I was like, listen, it's not working. And he says, Sarah, you've had panic attacks since you were five. It's going to take some time. And I, I couldn't get the words out. I couldn't explain. I knew the word of God wasn't working in my life, but it's the word of God. So it probably should be. So there's something wrong with me, not that. But I couldn't have explained it you to you. You didn't know how to articulate my head, that to him. Yeah. In my head, I it it was just pure blindness to what the gospel was and what it meant to actually become a Christian and surrender my life to Jesus. You know everything all day long, but you if you haven't asked him to save you, he hasn't saved you yet. And that's so relational. And Jesus talks about that, you know, when he walked on earth. So you're going through this hard season yeah. and you are reaching out for help. Yeah. And frankly, getting some good help. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But you know something is still not right. Because yes. yeah. the way you would express it is it's not working. Yes. But yeah. what was it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So then I started working backwards where I did everything I could. I any any big fallout in my life with a friendship or per I just started asking people to forgive me. I was like, maybe it's maybe it's that. I just will try anything. And I was um, ready to go back to master's. It was almost spring semester and I was stable. I wasn't having all night panic attacks, but I was really, really sad. And I remember telling my mom a couple of days before I actually came to know Jesus that if I ever believed in spiritual warfare, it was now. Mm. It just felt like something was trying to pull my soul down. I know it sounds so dramatic, but that's, it was just like being lost in a darkness 
and I and I it wasn't a numbness either. It was just probably a fight raging around me kind of thing, you know. And Paul says that we don't fight with. I'm gonna picture that verse. I'm gonna skip over it, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I went to visit my sister in Fort Worth and I was driving back to my parents in Granbury and I sobbed the whole way. It was December 12th. And I remember sitting at the light in Whiskey Flats. It's a little town between Granbury and Fort Worth. There's a train stop. I was stuck at the train and I'm sobbing and I'm realizing I have nothing to be sobbing about. And so I don't know why I'm sobbing. Mm. And just the distance between me and God. You know, when you've experienced a lot of pain in your life and – as I think especially as a child and you don't have the Lord and the Holy Spirit to kind of be your anchor, you're very aware of what um, just the hollowness feels like. Mm. I think it's easy if your life's great as a kid and you grew up like that to just kind of, I don't know, sound it out. But when you're left to yourself and you have some pain that makes it like an echo effect, you're very aware of it. Mm-hmm. But I can have put words to it. But I was mad. I was like, I don't want to feel this way anymore. Um, obviously, that was a very specific emotion I felt before I was a believer, mad. Uh, so, I, so I go to church the next day, and I'm sitting there, and there's an old cross behind the pastor in my childhood home or my childhood church. It was just my mom and I that day, and I was not paying attention to the sermon, which was really a theme in my life. I hadn't really ever. And... I was just looking at the cross and thinking, and I prayed, you know, God, I keep asking you what's wrong with me, but I don't ask you why. And this is very weird for some people, but it was like this moment where I had like a flash of my life, Mm -hmm. different moments in my life of what I felt at Mary Harden. I had felt before I just had run away from it and how much of my life had been about trying to escape this realization and this hollowness of I'm dead in my sins not alive. I don't have Jesus. And it dawned on me. I was like, oh, I'm not yours. Probably should have realized that sooner. I've never even asked Jesus to save me, but here I am realizing it at 20. So I'm sitting there and it dawns on me that I'm just not a, I'm not a Christian. I'm not saved. And it kind of freaks me out because it's really simple. It's not hard mm-hmm. to ask Jesus to save you. In practicality, it is hard to come to a place where you want to, I think. Mm. And a lot of the time, I think Cody said this one time, it's not that people don't care about God. They don't think God cares about them, Mm. which is the opposite. And so I was sitting there, and I think that was the moment where I was like, if you are everything I've learned you to be, why would I not want you to be my savior? And I was really scared to ask. So I'm like, what if I pray and nothing happens? Like, what if I'm wrong and I'm still stuck in this? But that's faith, right? right? So I just was like, okay, I don't doubt you. I just doubt I've ever asked you. So will you save me? And I surrender to you. And I remember just feeling the Holy Spirit flood me. And I never, ever felt joy, ever. And it just like flooded through my body mm. and hope and peace. I mean, I've been pa- I've been having panic attacks since I was five. So to feel peace was this awe-inspiring moment of um, like coming home. And when scripture says you're dead and then you're alive, that's what it felt like. Wow. And so I remember who I was before I was a believer, but it feels like somebody else. Huh. And... I was probably really annoying that day because I didn't tell anyone, and I was just so bubbly and happy at church. I think kids, lots I hadn't even talked to yeah, yeah, people I hadn't even talked to in high school. I was like, "Hi, how are you?" And they were like, "Who are you?" And and you were different. I was different within a. I told my parents that night and uh, my siblings the next day, and within that weekend, they told me like, "You're a completely different person." Which, yeah, it's just the work of God. You know, we all have any moment that a person comes to know Jesus is a miracle to be regenerated is just a miracle. And so any story is beautiful. Um, and, but I'm really thankful just for who I am that I can clearly know the moment and remember what that was like. Mm-hmm. And is that something I can point, it's an Ebenezer I can point back to when I don't know, things get hard sometimes. Yeah. I love so many things about your story or your willingness to share my, the specifics of my story mm-hmm. are very different, mm-hmm. but And I don't love it because I know it was miserable for you and I know it was 
offensive to the Lord, Mm -hmm. but just how you remember and can articulate those feelings and what you thought and Mm -hmm. are humble enough to share that with us. Even though my story is different, like that was me. Mm-hmm. I was an enemy of God. Mm-hmm. I did not care about him. Mm-hmm. I did not live for him. And mm-hmm. even though my specific circumstances or what I would have thought and felt at different moments is different than yours, mm-hmm. we all are that. Mm-hmm. We all are offensive and audacious yeah. in the way that we relate to the God of the universe. Mm-hmm. And yet he did for all of us in different Mm -hmm. ways what he did for you. Mm -hmm. He was there. He cared about you. He Mm -hmm. loved you. He directed your life Mm -hmm. and he saved you. And that is the story of every believer, Mm -hmm. someone who is an enemy of God, who God in his kindness and grace and love, in spite of how audacious and offensively I've lived, Mm -hmm. comes and saves us. Mm -hmm. And it is like you said, the hound dog of heaven, just mm-hmm. God coming and finding and saving yeah. is the hope that any of us have. Mm-hmm. And while I hate your story, I love that you remember some of those feelings because mm-hmm. it reminds me who I was yeah. and it reminds me of the goodness of God and mm-hmm. coming to save me mm-hmm. and how beautiful and patient Jesus is with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he loves without condition and I think it's in the Psalms. I should know my references better. Can you notice? Um, but that he loves or he saves to the other most. There's no point that you're too far gone from him. So I just think it's human nature to recognize at some point, like I was really rebellious and I'm being offensive. And that continues sometimes into our into our walk with the Lord. We're never gonna be perfect on this side of heaven. But it's a beautiful story that the continuation of that is that he just keeps changing you and keeps loving you and is like, it won't, it won't drive me away. So, so you God, I was going to say you become a Christian. Really it's God saves you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. is. God saving us and becoming a Christian. Those are the same thing. (laughs) So God saves you. And then obviously immediately that weekend, there are some changes. Give us a, a glimpse maybe of what has walking with Jesus Mm -hmm. since then looked like either immediately or up till now, what does that look like? Yeah. Um, You know, I wasn't under the impression that in that moment, maybe I was different, but that didn't mean my circumstances were different. Mm -hmm. And so the intensity of the sadness I felt and the anxiety had its roots in some of just not having Jesus to help me breathe through that is the best way to say that but I had a different desire now I had a different desire for why I wanted to have hope and why I wanted to love people and I don't know if I really loved anyone well before Jesus because I was Mm -hmm. focused on myself and I couldn't even fake loving someone well and so just this realization of how sweet it is to have people in your life and how sweet the church is so but I had been really afraid to ever be vulnerable. But one thing I was very certain of in that moment was that God was real and his word was true. And my life was only going to be full and flourish if I was obedient to what he asked of me. And I knew what he asked of me was to be in a church. And I was like, okay. Like, and I had been, but there's a difference between going to church because I knew I had to and actually actively being in community and letting people know me and growing. And so when I went back, I just started to be intentional about my decisions, but that came slowly. I may have known God, known about God my whole life, but I'm a baby Christian. And so those years in college were really impactful, but my understanding was as long as it wasn't sin, I could do it. And that's, I mean, maybe technically, sure, (laughs) but God is a shepherd and he walks with us. And he wants us to seek him and walk with him in our decisions. And so I'm just making decisions because I felt like I had the freedom to make decisions. And they were innately sinful, but they were foolish. Mm -hmm. And it led me to a place by the time I graduated college that I was, again, really struggling with anxiety and depression, which really just shocked me because I thought that had to do with me not being a believer. And that's just not true. 
And we, part of it may have been. It may have been, but yeah, but that's the reality. This is a fallen world. We struggle with things. And so I hadn't realized that so much of my view of God was still a harsh one. Mm. And I was actually in counseling and a couple was counseling me. And he said, there's a pastor and his wife. And he was like, I, I'm not surprised that you feel depressed because your view of God is zoomed in and it needs to be zoomed out. You're zoomed in on this justice part of him, and it's true. He is sovereign. He is just, and there are hard things about life. But you're not looking at the beauty or the goodness of holiness or his just kindness to you at all. I also was interning at Johnny and Friends, which is Johnny Erickson Tata, um, her company. And for those of you who don't know who that is, she is the longest living paralegic, I believe that's how you say it. Mm-hmm. And her ministry is really beautiful. She So she's paralyzed from the neck down. She started a nonprofit, and I got to be an editor there. So my job was to read all of her devotions every day. And they would come in bulk for the month. And so I would just sit there and read. And this woman has been in a wheelchair since she was 16 from a diving accident. So I'm over here and reading and just the things she would write. So when she first got into a diving accident, she wasn't a believer. She, um, she really struggled with just wanting to live. And she talked about how she said, well, what if I can't die? Teach me to live. And just certain things about suffering that she talked about. And I've met her. And this woman is just like singing hymns through the building as she just moves around in her wheelchair. And I was just so shocked. Like you have suffered in a way that most people won't. Many people have And you're like glowing. You're just on, you're just resiliently... And willing it seems genuine. to surrender. It is. Yeah. I'm like, you just seem fine. Like, and it just kind of put me in this place where I thought, I think as a believer, I'm, I'm called, no, not even called. I think there's a way, a, a very broad way in Jesus to still experience so much happiness and joy, even when I'm suffering. Mm. And that doesn't negate that suffering is really hard. I don't want anyone to hear that. This isn't like, I'm going to pretend that it doesn't suck because it, sorry. It's really hard. Because <laughs> it can. And, um, but I didn't think about how there's a lot of fullness of life in Jesus. So at the end of that internship, I moved back to Texas and I was researching a lot about Christian hedonism, which is- a, What does that mean? So Jonathan Edwards and John Piper, well, Jonathan Edwards isn't pastor from a long time ago, but Christian hedonism is the fullness of joy that we can experience in Jesus. And that when God is most glorified, that is also the result of us being joyful in him Mm. and i was just like i think christians are supposed to be joyful and i don't feel like we always are and i um just started kind of researching that but so i think i'm getting really off point am i no no okay i don't know where i'm going with that um so i i was struggling through some health issues um that had a lot to do with the anxiety and depression as well and as i worked through those hand in hand with working through my view of God, it became like this doorway of even if, even if I never get the things that I want in this life, and even if I'm sick the rest of my life, I couldn't work at the time. I couldn't really even drive a car. And I was really weak. And I was just once again in a place where I was mad. But this time I had already known what God could do. I knew who God was. And so it's a different way to look at your situation when you've Mm -hmm. experienced God. If for lack of a better word, you don't come into contact with the Holy God and leave unchanged. And so there are valleys in our life, but when you walk out of that valley and you go back to a valley some at some point, you can look back at that other moment and be like, you were true then, so you're gonna be true right now. Mm-hmm. And I held on to a verse in Psalms that uh, darkness is as light to you. So even if I felt like I was lost, he wasn't lost and he knew where he was leading me. And if I just stayed so close and believed who he said he was, even when I didn't feel like that was true, that there was going to be a light at the end of the tunnel. And I hope it was on this side of heaven. <laughs> I was like, I really would like to be okay again. <laughs> but if not, you're worth living for. And if I don't live for that, there's something wrong. Mm-hmm. And so that was then COVID hit. And so I had a lot of time alone with God. <laughs> um, yes. And he really just redefined my view of him and therefore my view of myself and my life and how to approach suffering and how to approach joy. What were, as you think back on that season, what were a couple of the things that he really altered in either your Mm -hmm. view of him? Mm -hmm. 
and your view of yourself mm-hmm. and your life? I, I think something that the enemy has done a lot in tempting me to believe is taking something I know is true and twisting it, which is what he does. Mm-hmm. So he did in the garden mm-hmm. with Eve, right? And the original belief that Eve had that caused her to sin was that God wasn't good and he was taking from her. And I really believed that because I was a sinner, that I was really worthless to mm-hmm. God. And there's a difference between being unworthy to go before the Lord and being worthless unworthy because I'm a sinner and Jesus now has wrapped me in his righteousness and therefore I can go boldly before the throne. That's really the gospel. There's a difference between that and being like innately, I'm not worth anything. And That's so very great insight. And so it's actually something my sister said, so I should give her the credit. I'm just expounding on <laughs> shout it. Shout out to your yeah, sister. Yeah, shout out to Katie. <laughs> and so in that, as I kind of learned about his character, it kind of was a reflection back to me of, well, what do you think of you? Because if you think poorly of yourself in a way that God doesn't think about you, you're going to have a really hard time getting through suffering. And you're going to mm-hmm. think everything God does towards you is because you deserve it. And that's not true. And there are times that we suffer because of consequences. But this isn't like an umbrella of every time you suffer, you've done something. And Job's a very clear picture of that. So... I think one, he taught me what he kind of what he taught Job. He didn't, Job didn't get an answer for his suffering. He got a, I'm God and you need to trust me and I'm good. And there's no way I can go back and look at my whole life and tell you that I know why those things happened. But I know that God's still good and he loved me and he was with me. And this is a broken world. And I think he helped me be able to hold both those things in my hand his sovereignty and the brokenness of this world. And I don't know how those play together what, perfectly. But if I don't know on this side of heaven, that's okay. And even if I don't know on that side of heaven, <laughs> it's okay too. And teaching me that he's created me and that he calls me his own. And that's my identity. Nothing else matters. Nothing else defines me. And there are other things I get to be called, but um, that triumphs everything else. And so walking in that confidence, no matter what. Mm. Yeah. As you look back on your life, and we're getting ready to close, so yeah. feel free to share anything okay, you yeah. want to that you haven't been able to. But I particularly love how you've mentioned the beauty of Christ or who God was or who Jesus mm-hmm. was when you didn't deserve it, which is mm-hmm. true for all of us. But God is who God is, and he has been caring for and interacting with you and loving Mm -hmm. you and been beautiful in and through your life. Mm -hmm. And so as you look back on who God is or who Jesus is, how have you seen that thread come through Mm -hmm. or what parts of God are you particularly grateful for, at least Mm -hmm. right now? Yeah. I hmm, Let me think about that. I don't want to just answer that offhandedly. In the Psalms, it talks about, David talks about, surely surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. David spent a lot of his life running and hiding and trying to be safe. So it's an odd thing to say. And I think the truth about the Christian life is there a, there's a paradox of me learning about God's goodness and love for me it was in the middle of something that didn't feel good or loving. Hmm. And I don't know if there's words for me to explain how that can happen. I think that's just the beauty of what God does in our lives and how, you know, he, the English, the English language is really limited and there's not a lot of words other than beauty to encapsulate who he is, but he's the epitome of it. And as he changes us to look more like him, it's really unique to each of us. Does that make sense? Like, of course, we're, like we're going to look more patient, but what does that flesh out in our lives? And I think what he's teaching me is when he tells me to believe him in a season that it's hard to, that there's going to be fruit for that. This isn't going to be, it's always going to be hard Um, because even if one moment stays hard, there is a whole life ahead of you that God has graciously given you to enjoy. And I know it sounds silly, but even down to just laughing, like things don't have to be funny to us. Or food didn't have to taste good. God's really given us a whole life to be able to enjoy. And when you can see those things, you, um, <laughs> you, <laughs> Kathy's laughing because earlier 
I told her before this started that, and this is so quirky, but I remember realizing that I think God must think we're all funny. And because he created our sense of humor and I just, I want to be funny. And so I was really thankful to realize, I'm like, he probably thinks my jokes are great and no one else has to. <laughs> so... <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love that about you. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's why she's laughing. But yeah, um, just realizing that there's a lot of life to be thankful for and praise him for. And your focus doesn't have to be on the heart. And to wait for him to bring about his promises because he's given you everything, um, every heavenly inheritance. And so whether it's on hev- in heaven we see that or glimpses of it on earth, that's just a beautiful redemption and a beautiful relationship between us and our savior. Mm. Thank you yeah. so much for sharing your story and being honest about Thank you for having me. the good and the hard it's and specifically for mm. for telling us his story mm-hmm. cuz through your life you've enabled us to see who God is mm-hmm. and his kindness and patience and grace and beauty in really significant ways and I love just the way that you have told your story such that it really points to mm-hmm. this is who God was. This mm-hmm. is what God was doing and how mm-hmm. God has number one saved you and given you joy and is forming you mm-hmm. into who he is. And that really is the story of every believer. It is. Yeah. God's the one who loves us. God's the one who saves us. Yeah. <laughs> God is the one who forms us in Amen. his image. God is the one that enables us to have mm-hmm. joy and mm-hmm. that reminder through the valleys and mountains mm-hmm. of your story is mm-hmm. really beautiful for us well thank you for letting me share it yeah it's a joy to share what he's done in my life mm-hmm. let me close yeah. this in okay. prayer lord thank you for sarah and for her willingness to be vulnerable about her own brokenness because it points to your beauty in even more profound ways you Lord, pursue us and are kind to us and are gracious and wonderful and just, and your character brings us so much joy. I pray for all of us listening. If there's someone who has never, like Sarah did for 20 years, say, Jesus, save me. I pray that right now you would save them and that they would ask for salvation. And for those of us who do know you, I pray that we would be even more joyful and enamored today as we reflect on the beauty of Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more episodes, be sure to follow Encouraged and Equipped.